the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We continue with uh, the book of 1 Samuel. We're actually in chapter 27. So guys, just to remind you quickly. So last chapter, we saw that Saul still went to seek David again. And we saw how David responded in the same way he responded to Saul the first time. And we spoke about how sometimes our principles get challenged by us being put in the same situation multiple times. And it's important for us to react the same way because that shows that we have principles. We're not acting according to pressure. So we saw that David the prophet, last time he protected Saul's life. He did not want to kill him. And he showed him that he still loved him and he wants peace. And we also saw that he actually left, did not go back with Saul because he knew the weakness of Saul. So he kind of did two things. One, he showed him peace, but yet he was wise enough not to go back with him because he knew that Saul has a weakness. Now, we want to kind of, chapter 27, just like David does a lot of things according to God's plans, also David has have he does have repeated patterns of failure and today we're going to see another pattern of failure and what is the pattern of failure remember i told you before that god told david stay in judah do not leave judah do not leave the church see what happened in chapter 27 and david said in his heart obviously the heart of man can be deceitful we have to expose all our days to God. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I, sh I shall escape out of his hands. God sent David a clear message at the hands of prophet Gad and told him, do not leave Judah. Why did God do this? Because God knows David very well. David had two different, two different options. Either to stay in Judah, which is a church, which means what? He's going to have difficulties. Saul is going to seek his life. But he will also see the glory of God. Every time he was in Judah, God performed the miracle and saved him from the hands of Saul. One time, God sent a warning to Saul, the army of the Philistines is coming, so he ran away and saved, left David. Another time, Saul was in the cave. A third time, David came and took the jar of water and the spear from next to him. So every day he sees a miracle. The other choice for David is to go to live with the Philistines. When he lived outside the church, what usually happens when he lives outside the church? He starts sinning. He starts falling short. God knows the frame of David knows the frame of David and that's why it's very important for us that I know my own weaknesses and I know the places that make me fall into sin people say when I come to church I find difficulties yes but it's better to be in the church and to see the hands of God than being outside the church Also, 
Remember, last time David was in the lands of the Philistines, what did he do? He had to act like a crazy guy. So the Philistines can, 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 can save his life and don't kill him. He forgot the amount of humiliation that he had when he was in the land of sin. When he was Saul, he was always glorified. Yes, he would go through hardship, anxiety, worries. Sometimes he felt he's about to die. But whenever he's in the land of the Philistine, he's humiliated. But it's very important for us to understand that there are places that God wants us to be in. And these places are not easy places. But these places, we see the glory of God in them. The path of sin, the path of rest, sometimes tend to be easy. But then we lose touch with God. So David said in his heart, I'm going to the land of the Philistines. He forgot the promise or they forgot the commandment that God gave him. Then David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Akash, the son of Moakai, king of God. So David now, remember the first time he went to the Philistines, it was just a small number. Now he has 600 men, and these 600 people are all married. And David is going to the king of Goth. Remember, guys, the king of Goth is where Goliath is from. So he's going to an area where people know him well and know he's an enemy of the Philistines. And by the way, David, when he made this action, he did not consult with God at all. He did not. Remember, how, do, how does David consult with God? He has different methods. One, he can call Epithar, the priest, and look at the efforts and ask, and I told you there are two stones, one can turn yes or no. He can also ask the prophet. He didn't use any of these means. He went by himself. So David dwelled with, with, uh, with Akash at Goth, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two, with two, uh, two wife, Ahinoman, the Jezreelites, Abigail, the Carmelites, Nabal's widow, so now David is going in with all his men to stay in the land of the Philistine. Obviously, when he goes to live in the Philistines' land, he has to make compromises, and we will see later. It's not like it just doesn't go at no free cost. When you have uh, 600 people coming with their families, they have to pay, pay, pay a cost. And it was told Saul that David had fled to God, so he sought him no more. See this verse is beautiful. When you are in the church, when you are close to God, the devil fights you so hard. When you go to the land of sin, he no longer needs to fight you because you are in the environment that already promotes the sin. There's no more warfare. And guys, remember, the children of Skava, the high priest, when they tried to cast out the demons, the demons told them, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but you, I don't know. Some people are insignificant to the devil because they're already part of his people. So when David went to, to the Philistines, the devil does not need to fight him anymore. 
And that's, that shows that he's running away from the glory of God. Tribulation equals glory. Then David said to Akish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let, me, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? David, intelligent, he went to the king and told him, look, give me a small city. Me and my men can dwell in it. Obviously, I don't deserve to be in the royal city with you as a great king. Why is he doing this? Because he wants to be away from everybody's eyes. He wants to go in and come out as much as he wants. Because if he, if he's in the main royal city, the king can keep an eye on him and can know what he's doing. So Akish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. We'll see later on the development of how the city turned from a city of the Philistines to the city of, of Palestine. But what does that mean? It means that David have became one of the subjects of Akash. He will tell him, go to war, he will go to war. Come here, come here, go here, go here. He lives under him. He lives under him. It's very scary. Very scary. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was, was one full year and four months. Remember, last time I told you something. In the old days... Even last chapter, when David was talking to Saul, he told him, people wanted me to, live, to leave Jerusalem that I may not worship there. Worship was connected to a location, to a place. We here, we are connected to a church, to pray in a church. But for the Philistines, it was connected to a specific single location. So when he tells him that I am away for a year and four months, it means a year and a four month David has not worshipped. David had easy life for a year and four months. Everything looks good. He feels now David is going to live like a worldly person. See what he did. And David and his men, look what they do. Went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gezerites, the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from old as you go to Saul, even as far as the land of Egypt. So David, as the servants of Akish, what kind of, what kind of, uh, what kind of reward would he pay the king for giving him a city? He has to go and destroy other cities and give him, you know, animals and stocks and food and tell him, look, you know, keep us around. That's the way it works. Look what David did. Wherever David attacked the hand, whenever David attacked the hand, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkey, the, the camels, and the, and the apparel, and returned them to Akish. David became a murderer, a killer, a thief. David does not engage in a war unless it is a holy war. It is a war that's commanded by God. Now he's fighting for himself. What does it mean fighting for myself versus I'm fighting for God? Somebody fighting for themselves, they're more willing to lie, to cheat, to stab people in the back 
that they may mess and get promoted at work. They may, for example, you know, like make, make more money. People are willing to take, focus all their, their, their thoughts on investment and stock markets and stuff. So this is mean I work for myself all the time. But David, David at this time, he did not fight for God. What does it mean fight for God? It means I'm on my knees praying for people. Trying to reach out to people, praying them to God. My time, my energy, my efforts are fighting for the kingdom. Then Akish would say, where have you made the raid today? So Akish would tell him, like he brought all this stuff, where did he get it from? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Sheremites, or against the southern area of the Canaanites. What is David saying? He's telling him that I went and I attacked the people of Judah. Who are the people of Judah? Israel. So David is lying to the king. Why is David lying to the king? Because when David tells him, I'm attacking my own people, the king will trust that David will never be back, become a king over them. So he's killing, he's stealing, he's lying. And be careful, he has to kill every single person to cover his lie. Can you imagine how terrible this life is? This is, by the way, David the prophet is somebody who is spiritually sound. Somebody who used to spend his time praying the Psalms, reading, going to church, praying Tazbaha. Somebody who is strong in his faith. God performed miracles on his hands. And when he does not practice his faith, he can live like a gang member. That's what he's doing right now. David would neither David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to God saying, lest they should inform on us saying, thus David did and thus and thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistine. David would not save anybody unless one of them would run away and go tell the king of God that David is attacking other nations and not Judah. What, what's the problem with that? When David attacks other nations, it means these other nations will come and attack Philistines. So now he's causing more enemies against his own Lord. But Judah is already the enemy of Philistine. So David are destroying many homes. He's lying. And many homes in his lifetime went through sadness because he wanted to cover his lie. He wanted to cover his lie. He wanted to save himself. David became a professional liar and a professional criminal. For how long? A year and four months. Again, it is very important for me to understand when I leave Judah, when I leave where the spiritual nourishment I receive, tribulation will stop in most cases, but also I will not recognize my identity anymore. So Akish believed David, saying he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, therefore he will be my servant forever. King Akish said, okay, this is great. David is killing his own people. It means they will hate him forever. So now he's going to be, become my slave forever. 
Such a sad story to see David the prophet, the king, now becoming a liar, a criminal. And that's, by the way, an important idea to keep in mind. Don't ever, ever underestimate the little decisions that lead us to be strayed away from God. A moment when I start, for example, turning my eyes to become an, a judgmental eye. I come and I start criticizing everybody around me. And then the next action is I leave the church. And then in the third action, I can't pray. And the fourth action, I feel I can justify myself in doing whatever it is. And then I live a life that's away from my identity. Little decisions without consulting God can lead to devastating consequence. Look, verse 28, uh, chapter 28, you're like, now it happened on those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight Israel. And Akish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to the battle, you and your men. Lying has to be exposed. So Akish told him, look, we're going to fight Israel. Of course, you're going to come fight with me. This is a disaster for David because if the people of Israel see him killing them, there is no way they're going to make him a king over them. He could, he could truly impact what God has planned for him by his lie. So David said to Akish, surely you know what your servants can do. Professional liar. And Akish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. You know, Part of me kind of wants to go inside David's mind and see what was he doing at this moment. He says, uh-oh, I'm in a big trouble and I don't know what I'm going to do. He has no idea what he's doing. He's now in deep trouble because he can easily, I don't know what he's going to do. He's now he has to go with the Philistines army, him and his men. And his lie could actually make him lose his life or lose his kingdom, the, the becoming a king, lose the purpose that God has planned for him. So what we're going to do is we're going to leave David in this scene here. He's now going with the Philistines' army to war. This war, by the way, was initiated by the Philistines. Now we're going to go back to who? To Saul. Now the Philistines are coming, so Saul has to react. This chapter, by the way, uh, the rest of this chapter is extremely important because Saul does something that is very strange. He will consult with a medium. Consult with a medium, it means he will go back to sorcery or magic and we'll see what he will do to try to get an answer. Now Samuel had died. Samuel died chapter 25, long time ago. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the medium and the spiritist out of the land. So... Samuel died a while ago, and there is a commandment in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses' laws forbade medium, wizard, magicians who will consult with the spirit of the dead. And you'll see this in Deuteronomy 18.11, Leviticus 19.31, 26, 27. They were, are, it's, a, it's a, a big sin. So people who go and, 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 and go and, you know, when you go and read the, the coffee cup, whatever it is you go and you go or read the palms, all these things are forbidden by God. 
people who predict the future, all this stuff are, are forbidden by God from the Old Testament. So Saul actually, he prevented these things from the land. He did this when he was initially in his life, when he was good, when he's following God, he prevented them from uh, operating in the land. So if they operate, they have to operate in a hidden way. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shonem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they, they camped at Gilbo. So the, basically, remember the war in the old days? Each side will camp and then they start war. When Saul saw the army of the Philistine, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. We want to stop at this verse. Saul has been rejected from God. Has been offered many chances to repentance. But he has not repented. But so far, his life has been, in a worldly sense, easy. He's rich. He's the king. He has an army. Everything looks good. The problem is, when people live this life, is death is inevitable. Death is what's inevitable. And when the moment of difficulties come, those who are not prepared, they become afraid. He has no relationship with God. He has neglected the voice of God over and over and over again. By the way, Saul at this time, he's much older than he used to be before. There is a verse in, in the book of Proverbs. They say, they say, those who reject God, God gives them the world. It's just the meaning of that verse. Means what? Means those who reject God, God tell them you want success in the world, take it. But there come a time when people have to pay for the decisions they made. Look what happened. And when Saul required of the Lord, required mean he asked, and the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by the Urium or by the prophets. You guys remember? He prayed, he did not get dreams. The Urium is one of those stones that it's on the ephod. And by the way, if you remember, Saul has no more priest because he killed the city of the priest. Only one priest ran away, Abithar, and he went to David. So it means he probably brought an ephod without a priest. So he heard no answer, and then no prophet would answer him. Remember, I told you at this time, Samuel was dead, but there were two prophets around. Gad, who spoke to David earlier, and Nathan. God did not talk to him. I want you guys to stop at this moment. Sometimes, when I am far away from God, after I have tasted him, and after I have seen him, the way that God trains me is that he does not speak to me. Let me struggle more and more and more. Why? So next time I sin, I remember how difficult it was for me to go back to where I was. It's not a punishment. It is more of a training process. Because if I... If I tasted God, like Saul, he tasted God. He's seen miracles. The Samuel, the first day, showed him what's going to happen all day long. He predicted to him what's going to happen. He was prophesying among the prophets two times. 
So God have already made him taste a lot of things. But he continued to sin and, and reject God, so God would not return to him quickly. But Saul did not understand this. He did not repent. When he did not hear, did not hear the voice of God, he did not say, let's fast, let's pray like other prophets did. He said, then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium in Endor. Instead of repenting, he said, you know what? God does not want me to answer me. I'm going to find a medium. I'm going to go to a sorcerer who will prepare the soul of the dead. So I could talk to somebody from the dead. You see, he is, it shows you, by the way, this is one of the tests that he knows this is a disobedience to God. He knows it because he put the law himself. But it came to a point now that he's so distant from God, he can even violate his own law that he put in the land. So Saul disguised himself and put on clothes and he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night and said, please conduct the Sainis for me and bring up for me one of one, the one of whom I named to you. He had to hide himself because if people know that Saul is going to uh, a medium at night, of course, they're going to be like, what are you doing? You're violating your own law. It's a big problem. So he had to hide. The, most all our sins are done and hidden. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the medium and the spiritist from the land. Why then do you lay snare for my life to cause me to die? See, God is sending him a reminder on the mouth of this woman. He's telling him, you don't understand. You're here asking me to do something that is against the law. Saul, if he would know, he would kill me. I'm not sure if she's doing this as a bargaining technique to try to get more money. I have no idea. But at least whatever she's doing, it's a reminder for him. And to, to, you know what, it, what, what it's like? It's like, for example, the first time, for example, somebody who did not used to curse curses. People around him would be like, I've never heard you curse before. This is a reminder from God. Or for example, the first time that somebody might try drinking or smoking, immediately God sends them a message. I've never seen you do this before. First time, for example, somebody falls into certain sins, God will shake them. I have never seen you do so good. So here, God is sending him. And then Saul swore to her by the Lord. Very strange. He swore to her by, by the Lord. It's like almost two thieves are stealing and they swear to each other by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Taman, this shows complete ignorance of God. No real knowledge of what he's saying. No near, he's confused. His heart is so hardened that he uses God casual. You know, I'll tell you guys, I'm going to go off topic for one second. Today, the gospel that we read, it says, it says what? Do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. And when I was thinking about this gospel yesterday, I was thinking, 
How many times have we heard this gospel? But we're still concerned with treasuring on earth. How many times did God say us, do not worry? And we still, we still worry. It's almost sometimes you feel that we became numb to the word of God. We hear it and we don't want to even try. We don't want to even put effort. But this is what's happening. Saul became so numb to the name of the Lord. It means nothing to him. That's why it's very important for me to keep the holies holy. Like if, if I develop reverence to prayer when I was young, I must keep it. When I developed reverence to the church when I was young, I must keep it. Every compromise I make, it impacts my relationship with God. How sad it is those who used to come into the church and worship and pray, now they can use their phones in the church. Misery. Or those who used to love Ashaya or Tazbah or whatever it is, they stand outside talking while the prayer is working, is going on. Here, he have developed no reaction to the name of the Lord. Nothing. When the woman saw Samuel, oh, look what happened here. The woman said to him, whom shall I bring to you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. You see, when Samuel was alive, by the way, Saul did not seek him at the end of his life. Once he became a, a, a king, he did not really care much for Saul. He's seeking him at this moment when he's scared. Okay? Now, I want you guys to keep in mind, because this is a critical part of this passage, because some people, you know, there are different views on this passage. The medium is so used to seeing demons. The medium is so used to see what? Demons, because they work with demons. So you come and tell her, prepare for me a soul from the, from, from the dead. A demon will come and will do the job. Okay? But he told her, prepare for me Samuel. So the woman is so used, this is her business. So she's expecting who to come? A demon. She's not expecting anybody to come. When the woman saw Samuel, be careful. She cried out with a loud voice and the woman spoke to Saul saying, Why have you deceived me for you are Saul? So what happened? She's not, she's expecting a typical demon to come. But who came? Samuel. We want to take this part slowly because it has a bit eh, of different views. First of all, how do we know for sure that this is Samuel? The person who answers this is the wisdom of Sirach in chapter 46 from 16 to 23. And it said, look, this is what the verse is saying. And after this, he, Samuel, slept and he made known to the king and revealed to him the end of his life and he lifted up his voice from the earth in prophecy to abolish the impiety of the people. So wisdom of Sirach itself confirms to us that this was Samuel. Okay? 
And actually, Origen as well comments about how that this must be same. The reaction of the woman itself, the fact that she was shocked because she was expecting a demon, it shows that she saw somebody different. Okay? Be careful because there's a, a bit of a theolog theological issue here. We're going to walk through it. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of earth. The king is comforting her, told her, don't worry, I won't kill you. She knew he was Saul. But Allah, what did you see? She told him, I saw a soul coming out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his form? How does he look like? And she said, an old man is coming up, Samuel, and is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was, it was Samuel, so he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Let's take this a bit slowly. He told her, who do you see? She's scared. She's not expecting another person beside the demon to come out. She saw Samuel. He told her, what do you see? She told him, an old man covered with a mantle. A mantle is a rope. If you guys remember early on, when Samuel told Saul that God rejected you, Saul cut the rope of, of, of Samuel. And Samuel told him, this was in Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, he told him, just like you cut my rope, God will cut your kingdom. So he's coming to him with the mantle. It's the prophecy already that Samuel gave him when this happened. Obviously, Saul here is worshiping in front of Samuel or bowing down as a sign of respect, not worship. But it is not appropriate for him whether to, to worship or to bow down in this place, in this situation. He does not see. He's not. Is it Samuel? We know that this is Samuel because the Bible told us. He doesn't see him. He doesn't know yet. Maybe this is a devil. And he's bowing down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Samuel said to Saul, the soul, the spirit spoke, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Origen said, Samuel's presence in Hades like Christ in no way diminishes his holiness or purpose. And this is, by the way, an affirmation for us that all the older prophets, they went to Hades. Okay? And St. Augustine said, Samuel's appearance and predictions, reading Saul's future, show that some, from, uh, that some from the dead may be sent to the living. Obviously, when Samuel is telling him, why are you disturbing me? Okay, and really, it's, you can imagine that for Samuel's soul to come out of Hades, all the way to come to appear to, 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 to Saul, it must require a special permission and allowance from God. Be careful, because we have not seen this appearance except on the mountain of transfiguration. Where somebody who was dead in Hades appeared. On the Mount of Transfiguration was Elijah and Moses. 
and Moses came from Hades. But some of the fathers say that the vision that God showed the disciples were not even of that moment. It was more of the eternal life. But this is not the topic. For us. But the point I'm trying to tell you is, right now, this is one of the very rare cases where a soul came from Hades. It had to take a special permission to come out. So, soul knows that God departed from him. He does not go and ask, how can I return to God? Tarfin, what his soul reminds me of? He reminds me of this generation, our generation. We want the easy way out. Don't tell me repentance, don't tell me prayer, don't tell me Bible. Tell me how can I get quick answers? How can I get quick results? You know, it's like somebody comes and says, uh, Abuna, I'm working on humility. How can I get humility? Tell me. I want to I wanna achieve humility. But humility is a gift from God. How are you going to get it? So you have to pray a lot. You have to get on your knees. And there is no guarantee that God is going to give it to you at any time soon. Can you do it? Sounds difficult. Then Samuel said, Why do you ask me, seeing that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? Guys, look, I want to tell you something. Saul sent and David sent, both are sinners. One completely abandoned God, completely. And one sins and repents. Sins and repents. It's one of the main reasons, by the way, I love the Old Testament. Because it reveals the true human nature. We are like David. We keep sinning and getting up, sinning and getting up. Repeated patterns, repeated behavior. Saul sins and just moves on with his life. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. Samuel told him, the Lord already has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand. This is the prophecy that he gave him when he cut his rope. And gave it to your neighbor David. Because he did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you. You guys remember, this is a story that happened earlier. When God told Saul, I want you to destroy Amalek fully. And at that time, Saul kept the king and kept some of the best calves and some of the best animals. And God told him, your direct disobedience of my voice was one of your greatest sins. Your direct disobedience of my voice is one of my greatest, your greatest sin. You guys, let me just, I want to stop here for one second. There are some times in our life where God, I don't want to say sometimes, it's actually most of the times, all the times, where God focuses with us on a certain idea. And it's repeated over and over and over again. And God says, direct disobedience of that could cause you to be separated from God. Moreover, 
the Lord will deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. Means moreover, you're going to lose the battle. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Be, me. be with me where? In Hades. Because Samuel is in Hades. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel told him, it's not only the kingdom is over. Tomorrow is your last day. Look, the question that a lot of people struggle with, and it's, it's, a, it's a worth thinking about. Why does God use medium to speak to Saul? Why, does he, why did God allow Samuel to come out and speak to him? And God, by the way, God, God clearly said this is a sinful act. Okay? Let's get a ticket. Let's mention a couple of ideas about this topic here. Number one, when we go consult with medium or magician or sorcerer or anything like that, you are consulting with the demon. So in Saul's case here, the Bible allowed him to see Samuel, but this was an exception, and it's not guaranteed. It could have been another demon that came to him. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I want you to distinguish between two things. Commandments that God gives to humans because it applies to our limitation but does not apply to him. And commandments that are of his nature. What do I mean by this? God told us not to judge. But God will judge. Because he's a judge. God said do not kill. But God ends the people's life. Every day God takes people's life. There are certain things that are God can do, but we cannot do because of our own limitation. God said, when you want to hear my voice, come and consult me. Come to me and pray and repent. Right? Don't go to a medium, don't go to a, to, to a spiritist. But God could allow, in this case, for this person to hear a good, a true message. Okay? Why? Because this is the last time the last chance for Saul to repent. That's it. Tomorrow, this man will be toast. So God is talking to him with all means, all means possible. Okay? So there's a distinction between these two. Distinction between God's nature means God is love. He cannot hate. God is truth. He cannot lie. God is life. So there are certain things that are intrinsic to the nature of God. But certain things God prevents us to do because of our own limitation. We're not all knowing. We cannot, we're, not all, we're not all omnipotent, omnipresent. God knows more than we do. So certain things apply to him and not to us. Certain things apply to him. To, and also it shows how the life of Saul was, value, was valued in God's eyes. Until the last minute God is trying to tell him, be careful. That's it. You're going to die tomorrow. Repent. God gives people a lot of chances. You know, uh, in the Gospels, this week we read one Gospel says, a, said, those who know much and don't do will be beaten by many beats. And those who, who do it out of ignorance, they'll be beaten little. It's almost like as of God telling Saul, 
I don't want to pass judgment on anybody by telling him if you don't repent, hell is going to look so bad for you because you have known so much. You have known so much. Repent. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the word of Samuel. And there was no strength on him for he had eaten no food all day and all night. Saul did not take any of the things that Samuel said in his life seriously. But when he saw the dangerous coming, now he's super anxious. You know, like when you hear the commandments of God and you don't take it seriously, when you, when you start belittling what God says, at, at some point in your life, when you face real decisions, the real worries, the real nature that we're made of will, will look, will come out. Now, the other thing is, Saul did not ask Samuel the most important question. How can I please God? What can I do that God may accept me? I have lost the kingdom. I've lost everything. Is there a chance for me to repent? Nothing. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in the hands as he did the words which you have spoken to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him and he heeded their voice, then arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Again, he is in a state of hopelessness but he got so used to getting his comfort from the worldly things. People talking to him, eating, sleeping, resting. And he has not, he, he did not get used to getting his comfort from the voice of God. And the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it. And she took floor and knitted it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate and they rose and went away that night. This is the last meal he's going to have in his life. A fatted calf, a bread, sounds like a very kind of fancy life, but then we will see how his end was so sad. A person who prophesied who saw miracles. God picked him out of nowhere to become a king. He was not known. And he ended up his life in a way that he refused to heed to the voice of God throughout his life. And it's also important to understand that David also was struggling. And that gives us an important thing, difference between us and people far away from God is not that much. We're all sinners. We're all weak. Difference between us and, and people who maybe don't come to church as much or don't know God as much is not that much. The difference is, is one person tells God, okay, I want to try again. I want to try again. Don't give up on me. Be patient with me as much as we can. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.